Okay. Hey, y'all want me to start over? We got plenty of time. <laughs> Don't do that. Uh, we, we won't do that. And so, so Jairus is talking about his little baby. Please, 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 please. My baby's dying. I need help. He doesn't care that she's 12 years old chronologically. His, his baby's dying. He implores Jesus to come. So Jesus went. The people pressed around him. Jesus said yes, as, as Jared read for us earlier. We read together earlier. He said, yes, I will go. And Jesus went, went with him. Mark points out in his, in his book that Jesus went with Jairus. The people pressed around him. That word means to press round or throng one so as almost to suffocate him. So I want you to think about when we see on TV these people walking around and the press, the media is so around them you can't even see them anymore. This is what is happening. Jesus says, yeah, Jairus shows up and the crowd's paying attention that Jairus is there. Jesus says, yeah, I'll go with you. And the crowd goes one big, it's like a five-year-old soccer game, just a big cluster of bodies, you know, walking along with Jesus. You can't even see him anymore. They're suffocating him. They're all around him. So this, this desperate daddy, no longer a ruler, desperate daddy, is walking. Implored Jesus says, yes, I'll go. And here goes the throng, and they're all around him where they can barely breathe together. Verse 43, he makes his, his plea to him. Uh, to, verse 42 makes his plea to him. And then there is an interruption. I don't know how your brain works, but when I'm in the middle of something, there's one thing I do not want. I do not want an interruption. It drives me crazy. I'm in a groove, and I'm going. I get interrupted, and I go, ugh. I have to change gears. Like, like if a microphone went dead. Somebody walks up here and kind of just, I'm in a foul mood because of you, Jared. <laughs> You know, I get interrupted in the flow of something. It's, it's disturbing. And so this happens. Verse 43. Look at what happens. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Now, Luke points out something here. That about the time this little lamb, Jairus' daughter, was born, this woman began to bleed. She had been sick as long as the little girl had been alive. And think about the, op the, the opposite here. Jairus, male, Jewish, powerful, synagogue ruler. He walks up and implores Jesus, and here is female. And what else do we know about her? She is unclean. Go back to the book of Leviticus. This woman represents everything gross and nasty and untouchable, especially to a man. She is ceremonially unclean. And it's one thing to be ceremonially unclean as part of a cycle, but there's another thing to have it constantly 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And she's looked at as something beyond availability. So I want you to read, I'm going to read you some examples. I want you to think about this woman. There, there are three things that we human beings cannot stand. We cannot stand to be rejected. We cannot stand to be humiliated. We cannot stand to be abandoned. And this woman's condition made all three things happen to her every minute of every day. She could not hold her children in her lap if she had children. Her husband could not touch her. A person could not sit where she had sat because she was considered to be so nasty and so untouchable, therefore so unlovable. Constant rejection and constant humiliation and constant abandonment and nothing she could do about it. And it was by law, people were able to do that. And so the three things that we human beings have the most difficulty tolerating, she lived with it 24 hours a day for 12 years. 
So another picture of desperation happening here. I want to read you some things. This is out of the Jewish Talmud. And these are things that were prescribed for someone in her condition. I want you to listen to what this woman had done. Now, it says that she had spent all she had on doctors. What that means is that's a, that's a very comprehensive word. It doesn't mean she had just spent all of her money. She had spent all of her efforts. She had gone to doctor after doctor after doctor and rabbi after rabbi after rabbi. How, how do I do this? Let me read you some of the prescriptions. Rabbi, rabbi Jokanan says, here's what you do when you have your condition. Take gum of Alexandria, of alum, and of crocus hortensis. I have no idea what that is. Whatever those things are, take those. Let them be bruised together and given in wine to the woman that has an issue of blood. If this fails... Take of Persian onions nine logs, boil them in wine, give them to her to drink, and say, Arise from thy flow. But should this fail, set her in a place where two paths meet, and let her hold a cup of wine in her hand. And let, get this, let somebody come up behind and frighten her, and say, Arise from thy flow. But if this should do no good, take a handful of cumin and a handful of crocus, and let those be boiled, and given her to drink, and say, Arise from, my, from thy flow. If this fails, dig seven trenches and burn in them some cuttings of vines not yet four years old, and let her take in her hand a cup of wine, and let her be led from this trench and set down over that trench, and let her be removed from that trench and set down over another. And in each removal, say unto her, Arise from thy flow. Can you imagine that? More humiliation, more rejection. Time after time, holding bags of stuff and bending over trenches and smoke coming, drinking wine, all those things. Try this, try this, try this, try this, try this. None of it works. So she goes and tries these things, and she walks away from these treatments, so to speak, and it doesn't work. And so what does that say to the people that are already judging her? See, she's probably beyond help because what, what the rabbis and the Talmud, what those people and doctors are prescribing, it's not even working for her. So there must be something desperately wrong with her. So this woman's walking around with physiological, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual desperation. And so in her desperation, she decides to do some desperate action. I don't know if you've been there. I've been there. Desperate action. This is, this is a bad situation. Mark, in the Greek here, Mark describes her affliction in, in the Greek word mastigos, which means whip. This woman was being whipped every single day. Whipped and whipped and whipped and whipped and whipped. And what, what must that have meant to Jesus to recognize she had been whipped, knowing where he was headed? longer for our, for our redemption. And so watch what happens. Verse, pick it up, verse 44. She came up behind him, Jesus, and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. Isn't it just like Peter? Who touched me? I, how would I know? <laughs> There's a thousand people around here. What are you asking? I have no idea. Of course, of course it was him. Mark was nicer. Mark didn't say who it was, but Luke's like, I'm, I'm going to out him. That's <laughs> Peter for sure. I said that to him. Right? Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. That is a powerful thing, isn't it? There's this square piece of garment. She come, clung to a part of his garment called the shimla, which is a, just a square piece of garment to go over him. She touched the hem of the outer garment, 
She didn't grab him around the waist. She didn't grab his ankle. Just the hem of his, the very end, this big square garment he was wearing. And, and my hope for her also, after all she's been through, and people watched her jump in trenches and all kinds of crazy stuff, my hope would be that she would do it and be healed and take off. And Jesus turned on his heels in the midst of all these people and went, who touched me? I want you to think, remember, we're doing story today. Think about being her. And you've just touched a man. You just touched a Jewish man. You just touched a rabbi Jewish man. And you've also interrupted a very important Jewish man, synagogue ruler. And you, you're probably in trouble. Right? You're, this is probably not going to end well. If I'm her, I think, man, this is great. I can feel it in my body. This, this has stopped happening. And all of a sudden, you hear that voice from that throng of people. Who touched me? And I don't know. I, I mean, how do you feel when someone comes up and goes, hey, uh, can I have a word with you? <laughs> what happens? Do you think, I bet they're going to give me a bunch of cash. It's going to be great. Right? It's immediately like, uh-oh, what do you want? It, I, I, this happened this weekend. Todd and I were going to literally just have lunch with a guy. I go, hey, man, we want to catch up with you later. Literally, am I in trouble? What the guy said? <laughs> no, how will we get you in trouble? In human nature, something happens in human nature. When I have received something good, what do we expect to happen next? Well, here comes that other shoe, right? And so she's done something, and God has, he, Jesus has healed her. And he turns around and goes, hey, uh, uh, who, who touched me? And she does something amazing. Again, the Mark passage says that she came in fear and trembling. She was scared to death. And what did she do in her fear and trembling? Now, I would have gone, well, I was walking through here, and I tripped, and I fell, and I, I grabbed something. It happened to be your garment. Sorry about that. Hope, hope we're okay. Bye. I'd have, done, I'd have made up something, I'm sure. She, trembling in fear, told the whole story. She didn't go, oh, I've been, I hadn't felt too good, and I just thought if I grabbed something that you had on, I'd be okay. She told them the whole story. She told them the whole story. Don't forget that, how healing it is to tell the whole story of your life. She told them the whole thing. The pain of it. Twelve and a half years ago, life was great. I don't know her story. It doesn't tell her story. Maybe my husband and I met or had this great life, these great friends that I have. I was worshiping God and had this great little house. And it was I never ate pork and all this stuff that a good Jew would say, right? I had a great life. It's going fine. You know, like middle Tennessee in 2023, life's okay. It's going okay. And then I got sick. I couldn't get well. I've done all kinds of stuff. She told them the whole thing. In fear and trembling. It's a word phobeo. It's where we, where we get our word phobia. And so here's what Jesus says to her. It's a beautiful picture. Jesus uh, says to her in verse 48, one of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Daughter. The only time in the New Testament, the story, the only time in the New Testament, that word is used in that context. The word daughter is used like so-and-so's daughter to so-and-so. But the only time in the New Testament when someone is addressed with that word, daughter, relationship. What did Jesus say to the disciples in John 14, 15, and 16 when he was going, going back to the Father? I'm not going to leave you as orphans. That's a big deal to God. It's a big, apparently, according to his word, it's a big deal to God to let us know that 
as those who know him, that you have a perfect parent in me. You're never going to be an orphan with me. I'm going to walk with you. And it's the same thing here. How long had it been? Wonder. Remember the, the guy that was healed by Jesus? He was blind. And the synagogue rulers were all, they were all mad about that. And, you know, like, who healed you? And, and uh, they turned to the man's parents. This is John chapter 9, by the way. They turned to the man's parents and said, who sinned? This is what happened. And the parents said, I don't know. That's on him. The pressure to be in the synagogue and to be accepted among the synagogue people is so strong, they abandoned their own son and said, nope, y'all, y'all deal with him. We have nothing to do with this. We're not going to advocate for him. That's how powerful all of, all of this is. Because that guy literally was an orphan. His parents literally left him when he got his sight restored by Jesus. And this woman was being told something that I suspect for at least 12 years she had not been told. Jesus says, daughter, relationship. And how long had it, you have to wonder, how long had it been since she had heard that? He says, go in peace. That means exemption from the rage and havoc of war. He said, hey, sweetheart, daughter, little lamb, if I may, war is over. Havoc is over. The rage is over. As far as I'm concerned, you are fully restored. So you keep your eyes on me. You go without the havoc of war anymore. Rage is done. And so here's this woman, and she has uh, been healed. Well, meanwhile, that's a great word in Scripture, by the way. Meanwhile, remember our man Jairus. Jesus is on the way to heal his daughter. And so you think about Jesus walking with this swarm of people around him and the crowds moving and all of a sudden, I'm sure Jairus, I would imagine he's way, way, way ahead. He wants his little lamb healed. And he turns around and he goes, what's he doing? And someone says, well, he's talking to a woman. <laughs> he's talking to a woman. He, he's got to get over here. Imagine this daddy who's been crying and screaming out to him. My, my little lamb's dying. Please hurry, hurry. Before she dies, and Jesus seems to be taking his time. Anybody ever had that happen before? Hey, God, uh, we got a schedule here. <laughs> you're you're behind. Great British pastor Phillips Brooks, his secretary came into his office. He was pacing the floor. She said to him, "Doctor Brooks, what's the problem?" He said, "Well, I'm in a big hurry, and once again, God isn't." <laughs> over and over, like, "Hurry, God, do something here," and he's not in a hurry. He's got to be thinking like, who cares who touched him? What does it matter? Let's go. Come on. Come on here. So it's almost like the same thing. Remember that scene where, where there's a storm raging and they're in the boat and Jesus is, you know, taking a nap. It seems a very ungodlike thing to do, frankly. Like, hey, wait. And the disciples go, hey, do you even care? And if I'm Jairus, I'm asking the same question. Like, hey, I got a heck of a storm brewing here. My daughter's dying. You said you would come heal her. And what are you doing? Do you not even care? Like, talk to her later. Attend to this later. I, I, I need you now. And so often I want to go, hey, you take, take care of folks up in Nebraska later. I want take care of me now. Like, come on, pay attention to me. And Jairus has got to be thinking, it's a question of our lives. And so look at verse 49. The story really turns. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Think about hearing that news. The frustration, the panic, fear, abject, absolute sadness. And so verse 49 is a transition in the story. It goes from panic, hurry, 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 to just sobbing. You think about this daddy 
not powerful Jairus, this daddy, fallen to his knees, sobbing and sobbing. The the text doesn't say this, but in my imagination, Jairus is on his knees sobbing, and Jesus comes up and kneels down on a knee beside him and puts his arm around him, puts his arm around him and and, and says these words. um, Do not, uh, sorry, verse 50. Do not fear, only believe. She will be well. I want to tell you a little something about that word fear. That too is a word called phobeo, where we get our word phobia. And what do we do when we have a phobia? We take it into our own hands and we do whatever we have to do to not go away when we're running into something we have a phobia of. I've asked this question in a ton of states and a whole bunch of Canadian provinces. I want you to think about what your answer would be, because I'm going to tell you what it is. Think if you were a phobic of elevators, a phobia of elevators, and you had a doctor's appointment. And your doctor was on the 50th floor of the building. What would you do? I'm going to tell you what you're thinking. Either take the stairs or get another doctor, right? Because you would be taking it into your own hands and dealing with your fear in your way. That's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying don't be afraid. Who wouldn't be afraid their daughter died? He's not saying don't have fear. He's saying in your fear, stay with me. Do not take this into your own hands and go do something to take care of your own fear. You just stay here with me. She's just asleep. Trust me on this one. So Jairus is told, hey, stay with me. So here's what happens. Verse 51. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. All were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, don't weep. She's not dead. She's sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing, content, content, knowing in content, she was dead. So Jesus calls down, uh, calls into here, and he's undertaking some really serious business here. Mark uh, says that before Jesus got there, he had everybody to vacate the house. He essentially threw them out, threw everybody out. It's kind of strange. He, uh, um, this run writer says this. Yet seeing that their lamentation was so hollow, he saw the professional mourners there, that words of hope, which if rejected, always intensify real grief. It is no wonder that he who was truth incarnate expelled them. In Tennessee, Walter Hill, we would say, all y'all get out, right? He goes, every one of y'all get out of here. Leave the house. Peter, James, and John, y'all come with me and the parents. Y'all, y'all come. G.A. Chadwick says this. This is a beautiful picture. I'm going to read what he, what he says here. But taking her, verse 54, taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, the word child, by the way, little lamb. Little lamb, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. He directed that something be given her to eat, and her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. We can in- insert the word yet. In that, know what happened? G. A. Chadwick, pastor from hundred years ago, says the friend of children did not whisper in her ear in her ear some formula, but he awoke her gently with a courteous hand as well as a most loving word, calling her by the sweetest name for a child, which is derived from the Hebrew for lamb. You think about this. Philip Yancey writes in that passage I talked about earlier where Jesus calmed the storm. Yancey says, and Jesus arose from his bed 
and he yelled at the storm like an unruly child. Stop it. And it did. He cast out demons. He calmed storms. He healed lame people. He just healed this woman with the issue of blood. This all-powerful God whispers to this little girl's ear, hey, little lamb, get up. Rise. And she did. Crazy. It's easy to overlook something in this story, too, by the way. The story within the story. Notice what he did. Jesus walks into the house, and he says, all y'all, get out. And then he looks at death and says, and you too. You get out. That's powerful. Here's God incarnate walking in the house. One thing to throw a bunch of people out of a house. God looked death, God incarnate, Jesus looked death in the face and said, hey, while we're at it, you get out of here too. And then he whispers into the ear of the child, the little lamb. He says, get up. Death's out of here. Get up. So let's talk about some principles of application. We'll be, we'll be finished for today. So here's what we know. The hero of the story is not Jairus, who bravely and courageously asked Jesus to heal his daughter. The hero is not the lady, though she's very courageous. It's not the lady that came and touched his garment. The hero is Jesus, the one who did go in and tell death to get out. So here's what we can do. If you're hopeless today, you can have hope today. From here on in, there's, we can dare to hope. There are two alternatives to hope, by the way. One is a thing called apathy. Apathy keeps from hoping. The word apathy means without pain, without pathos. I'm not going to deal with the pain anymore. I'm just, you know, whatever. Resignation. Eh, life's going to happen like it happened. Nothing I can do about it, so forget it. Or anxiety. It's what we talked about earlier. Taking fear in our own hands. We can easily fall off into one of those two. And maybe both of these people could have fallen into that, but they didn't. They approached Jesus. So we're called to be people of hope. We're called, frankly, to be Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood. We're called to be them. So I'll give you three words it's easy to trust in that will get us in trouble, steal our faith. One is data. Do any of y'all ever watch the news anymore? <laughs> the data is terrible. It's, it's terrible out there. The data suggests we've lost. The data suggests this thing has made a turn, and there's absolutely no hope anywhere. The data is bad. And then we can um, lose hope because of delay. In the raising of Lazarus in John 11, where uh, Jared started with today, Jesus delayed before coming. Mary and Martha gave up hope. They were scared to death. Jesus was delayed coming to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. He had delay. And then the third one is disappointment. Disappointment, by the way, just simply means failure to show up for the appointment. <laughs> You've been disappointed. And so often disappointment can be, um, he thought that Jairus, for all he was worth, thought Jesus had missed his appointment. But he hadn't. So we can be like, like they, walking away from this, can, can dare to, to hope and dare to wait in spite of what the data says, in spite of what we see as a delay, and certainly in spite of disappointment hasn't happened. So we'll close with this. What does that take on our part to do that? It takes a thing called faith to not just look at data and not just look at delay and not just look at the disappointment and how God has not shown up. It takes great hope. Writer of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, very, very well-known verse that's so applicable to what we've talked about today. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Assurance. You know what assurance has in the middle of it? It has a thing called passion in the middle of it. But to stand in assurance 
that he's got it means to bear a tremendous amount of pain because it doesn't look like he's got it yet if we look at the data. If we just look at the data. So faith begins with a thing called passion. Faith begins with a willingness to deal with pain, the pain of waiting. And it also has to do <clears throat> with, with passion in another way, the passion to have the conviction, that though I can't see it, I know it's real. Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, can you see the wind? No, not exactly. Well, how do you know it even exists? Nicodemus, because I see trees move. I hear it. I see things. Jesus says, yes, same thing. That's what faith is. <clears throat> can't see him. He's not physical like he was even for Jairus or the lady here. But I know it. I feel him. I recognize him. I see what he does. I see beyond. I see through the data. I see what he's doing in it so we can remain <clears throat> people of hope. The end of Hebrews chapter 11 says, having the assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen, that's what the ancients were commended for. And that's what Jairus and the Lady of the Issue of Blood were commended for. And that's what we are to be commended for, remaining in, <clears throat> in faith. I'll quote this. Uh, I'm a, a big fan of the, the, the writings. Not, all every detail, but I love the, the writings of C.S. Lewis and the, the series of um, Chronicles of Narnia in the last battle. I'm going to read you uh, the closing scene of a book called The Last Battle. The unicorn, the unicorn sums up what everyone was feeling when they got to the new Narnia. God had Aslan had delivered them to the new Narnia. All this stuff was over. Here's what happened. The unicorn stamped his right forehoof on the ground. He neighed and cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we loved old Narnia data is that it sometimes looked a little bit like this, but come further up and come further in. That's what people of hope do. We come further up and we come further in. Despite delay, and despite what the data says, and despite disappointment, we are able and are called to believe like Jairus, even in our sobbing, sobbing pain, and believe like this woman who rejection and humiliation and abandonment day after day after day continued to pound away. In fear and trembling, she told him the whole story, the whole truth. So I pray as we leave today, Monday morning is going to hit us, Unless Jesus returns overnight, it wouldn't be all bad. Uh, but unless he returns, we wake up in the morning, as God gives us life, and we face a world that's probably not going to change much. So when we gather on Sunday mornings, it's not about the world changing, it's something changing in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I pray that we, like the unicorn, look forward to that day when we recognize we have great stuff here. I mean, well, we live in Walter Hill, right? We got great stuff here. Uh, but as great as this is, it is a copy of what is to come. We are people of great hope. And we have these delays, we have this data, and we have the disappointment. But in him, there is ultimate hope. Let's bow and have a word of prayer together.